John Plesnick, and welcome to Train the Church, where we talk about training men for ministry in the context of the local church. This podcast is produced by Faith Bible Church in Murrieta, California, where I'm a pastor. Joining me again today is Chris Mueller and Nigel Shaler, who also serve as pastors at Faith Bible Church. Hey, John. Hey, John. Great to be here again talking about training. Glad to have you both. Uh, and together, we, uh, we lead the Training Center, a three-year program of ministry training for men set in the context of the local church, our church, Faith Bible Church. Today, we are talking about the various methods used for training men for ministry. There are many different methods employed today, and to the best of our ability, I want us to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of each one. Next episode, we're going to focus exclusively on our method for training at FBC, sharing how we do that, and doing their best of our ability to describe its strengths and weaknesses, which is really our strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so today, guys, can I have your agreement not to talk about our ministry? Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Before we dive into the various training methods used, let's start with full disclosure. Nigel, you're a seminary graduate, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Okay. How much seminary have you done? Uh, I got my MDiv at uh, the Master's Seminary and also my Doctor of Ministry at the Master's Seminary. All right. Chris, you are also a seminary graduate. Is that true? I am. And where are your degrees from? Well, a long time ago when the earth crust was still hardening and dinosaurs were still alive, I graduated from Talbot Theological Seminary, I think in 1982. And then I just received my doctorate from the Master's Seminary just last year. Thank you, Doctor. Doctor. Yes, Doctor. 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 Nice Doctor. <laughs> and you? Yeah. Where did you get your seminary training from? All right. I graduated uh, I, from Master Seminary in 1999 mm. uh, with a Master's of Divinity and did, uh, got a doctor, doctorate uh, in exposition, expository preaching from Southern Seminary in 2011. So I think uh, we should wrap the episode, or at least start the episode, by admitting our bias, our uh, distinct uh, distinctiveness that we are all seminary-trained men mm-hmm. talking about this. So let's start in with that model, the one that we all uh, came through in some measure. Uh, when a guy feels called to ministry, most men head to seminary, and many churches are quick to send a man there. What would you say are the strengths of seminary training? Obviously, you're exposed to godly men from other places around the world, and you hear incredible instruction of men who are experts in particular fields of study. And of course, I'm assuming that we're talking about a good seminary. Uh, There's a lot of not good ones. So at these healthy seminaries where exposition and sound doctrine are prevalent, then you're going to get exposure also to men around the world sometimes uh, and have that kind of exposure to men who would be impacting you in a variety of different ways, as well as those professors, as well as sound doctrine, as well as the exposition of Scripture. It's a marvelous environment, and so we love it, you know, that men would go. I think I would prefer if men could be trained and proven before they went. Uh, I I think it's a great thing that we send men to seminary. I would just like to send the right men to seminary and not necessarily anybody who wants to go. But I love the process of having a seminary, and I want men who are set apart to 
exposit God's word to go to seminary. In fact, we insist on it. Yeah, I think your your view or your desire would be for seminary to be a finishing school. Correct. Of sorts, right? Yeah, I want them to make sure they get the best possible exposure to the most amount of men over the truth of God's word. We want them to know God's word. We want them to know sound doctrine. We want them to be able to exposit and really accurately determine the author's intended message. We want them walking away with a super sound hermeneutic so that they know how to approach the text. And really, you know, we, we can do that, but not to the degree that it can be done at the seminary. I mean, they, they do such a fine job of really working it through in a way that um, I think is uh, really healthy for men. And I think what you get in seminary too is uh, professors who are interacting with um, other professors. Uh, they read and write articles that are of a scholarly nature, and they're they're dealing with subjects that uh, most uh, churchmen or pastors just don't have the time to get to. They they don't necessarily always have the right kind of um, opportunity. And so uh, when you go to seminary, you, you, you're in those circles. You're in the mix and you're having to defend the faith and professors force you to deal with subjects that you might not otherwise come into contact with. And uh, they teach you how to do that in a biblical fashion, and it's it's really healthy to to be in the mix and those in those circles for at least a little bit of your ministry training time. Yeah, you can have in a seminary a concentrated experience where I think about the, some of the guys who were at seminary when I was there as professors, and you had a man who had been on the mission field for thirty years, and another man who had done Bible translation for a couple of decades, and another man who was in Israel doing archaeology. Like, the, you might find one of those guys in a local church, but to have, like, those plus another six men who are deep, deep wells all together to learn from at the same time is a really unique experience. Well, yeah, and these are the men who write books and write commentaries. Right. They know the Bible. They know the original languages. And uh, to have exposure to that quality of scholar is tremendous. Yeah, they give themselves to various disciplines that we can't, that, like Nigel said, we don't have time for. You know, there's no way that we could come to the depth of where they understand the Scripture or where they understand the languages or where they understand church history. And so having that exposure is priceless. Mm. So we love it. It's just the... Who we send is the key. I want a guy when he goes, he, I want him to know I got to go here and I'm going to get everything I can out of it. I don't want him to be thinking, well, I wonder if this is for me or not. I want him going in there going, I want to get everything I possibly can out of this process. And there's a sweetness when a guy goes in, he's surrounded with other men like that. Because I know in our, in our experiences in our doctoral programs, they were distinctively different than our master's level work not just because of the education and the focus, but because the men who you're doing the the classes with, right? That you are uh, with guys who are more seasoned in ministry, more experienced, more passionate and focused on what they're doing, and who really are already in the game. Who are yeah, they, they go into the program already asking the right questions, mm-hmm. already interested in the right emphases. 
And so their study is way more purposeful mm -hmm. and uh, productive. Right. They're able to latch on to things that actually are going to matter uh, for ministry for their entire life. And they're exposed to other things that may or may not affect their ministry in the future, but it's back there too. They're exposed to things that it may come to the front, it may come to the forefront as something that they vitally need to know, but at least it's there. They're exposed to it. It's like a comprehensive education in the area of ministry, and some of it is immediately useful, and some of it's going to be useful, and some of it maybe never comes off the shelf, but in case it does, they're ready to address it. What would you say are the um, greatest potential weaknesses for a man as he considers seminary or for a man attending seminary? What's it, what are the weaknesses of seminary training? Well, depending on the seminary, there are times when it can be disconnected from real ministry, mm. and, um, and it be can become uh, very much an emphasis on classroom learning, lecture, where all the things that uh, we believe is, are important in regards to training are minimized or don't even happen at all. And that would be a, a sad seminary experience, I think. Sometimes it can be divorced from the local church, so the, the elements of all the processes that Christ put into place for his church to grow people are not being manifested. They're Definitely, you know, it's not multiple multiplicity of spiritual gifts and ministries, etc., and the ongoing life of the body. I think that sometimes they can be so scholarly that they forget that the people in the pew are not, and so we can talk above them, and even give them a confidence of knowledge without life, which is a little bit scary, um, almost Pharisaical. You have to be aware of that. Not necessarily that that's an evil of seminaries, but it's, a, it's something that you need to be mindful of, that we can be create such a love for the knowledge of the truth that we don't see it lived out in character and in lifestyle. And the way that people treat one another uh, is also an evidence to bring God glory. So there, there's all those parts that can be a danger in that process. I think that um, the best approach in seminary training, of course, is that it's immersed in a local church. And therefore, there's the ministry expression, and that they have the body life going on, and they're totally networked in the context of a local church to be able to grow in that process. Uh, we have heard, I think, of an increasing number of unaccredited seminaries uh, over the last uh, decade or so. You guys have any thoughts on those? Listen, I, I, I like any attempt to train and equip uh, men for ministry. Uh, sometimes the lack of accreditation comes about because people just want to take on the ownership of that task and don't want to send their guys away to uh, faraway seminaries. And so I see that as a, as a helpful thing and, and a, a great goal. Uh, often what happens is um, in those settings is you attract students who are connected to the ministry through relationships, through the local church. They don't necessarily care about accreditation. They're not looking for a formal degree. And, uh, and that's fine. Uh, in some contexts or in some countries, that might be limiting long term. Mm as far as their ability to move on to other churches or ministries that look for those qualifications. But the training can often be very, very good. 
and uh, and in those cases, you know, I think we would affirm that on a case by case basis. Yeah, it seems like the issue is ultimately is what sort of quality of education you're going to get. Right. Early on, accreditation was essentially a quality check to make sure that what the seminaries and colleges and universities were doing was generating some similar quality of student uh, institution to institution. And now the challenges that some particular Christian colleges, universities, seminaries face is their accreditation can remove some of their distinctiveness, for which reason they might not pursue accreditation. But when you're also unaccredited, there's no checks on the quality of work that you're doing, and it's easy for um, someone to really do something that's subpar, and unless they know what they're doing, it, uh, it can go really bad. Yeah, I think obviously we would say, you know, what's their doctrine? How, what's their hermeneutic? How do they approach the word? And then really, how does that manifest in some of the key issues of our day? Because you can hear a lot about people talking about their seminary and how great it is and how it's this and this and this. But you want to say, well, where, where do you stand on this? You know, where do you stand on the, the, your millennial position? Where do you stand on your cessationist position? Where, where are you at on some of those issues? And are you a six-day creationist, you know, kind of thing? That's going to tell you a lot about how they approach the word. Not necessarily that issue itself, but it tells you a lot of how they approach God's word. Is it really genuinely the authority? And then I think if it's a non-accredited seminary, uh, then you're looking at the character of those men and their commitment to not scholarship for scholarship's sake, but just really how far they're going to dig in. Or are they just trying to find a simple way to, you know, call it a seminary and get the process done? Or are they actually going to force you to actually wrestle with the text and uh, come out with the tools that you can interpret it later accurately? You know, so you want to make sure you are checking the men themselves and their commitment to truth and then how they, you know, flesh that cell uh, out in the process of their seminary education. Yeah, so I think if a man is aspiring to be trained for ministry, an unaccredited seminary might be okay. <clears throat> if he has a desire for a further, more terminal degree, whether a THM, a DMN, whatever, a THD, then the big question of that unaccredited place is, am I able to move on? And there are certain unaccredited seminaries which other accredited institutions will take their degrees from, though they're unaccredited because the quality of the education there right. is so high. And so that's the probably the thing to dig in with as uh, somebody's considering that. Well, I think, too, we understand the future of education in this country will become increasingly secular and, and liberal, and so accreditation agencies may become harder and harder to work with. And it's, it could be that in the future that seminaries and Bible colleges cannot uh, attain that type of accreditation because they don't line up with those secular philosophies of education or right. theology anymore. Yeah. Now, to go to the opposite scale, in our valley, we have a man, a friend, who was thrust into vocational ministry without any training whatsoever, gifted young man who grew up in the church, was asked to lead the youth ministry, and then not many years after, the preaching pastor disqualified himself and stepped down, and what had began as an interim responsibility for the pulpit turned into a full-time job for him. And uh, I think 
And this training by doing is kind of the opposite end of uh, the man who pursues seminary, uh, seminary training. It's really hands-on, has close to zero actual instructions, no instructors. Uh, the tests have less writing, more eternity. Uh, but that sort of training happens all around the world where a man steps into uh, a role without any training and just learns on the job. Uh, so... I think the the weaknesses are pretty obvious, but what would you say are the downsides to such an approach? Well, I love the idea of someone uh, being thrust into ministry, and especially if they're gifted and they have a heart for the Word of God and, and sound doctrine, and they love the church, and they're given a platform because they they have the giftedness to be able to do that, then that's a wonderful thing. Um, and... Uh, if they can source or find some ongoing exposure to those that can invest in them, then of course that's going to be extremely beneficial as well. It could be that their own local local church can't provide that, and so they're going to have to go looking for that. Well, a big part of training is the doing and the practice of it. And you know, Jesus sent his men out two by two. They practiced ministry to a great degree. They lived it. They walked it through. But it would be to me. Like, uh, you know, saying, hey, play for the Green Bay Packers, uh, but you don't know the playbook. And so you need to know the playbook. You need to know the Bible. You, know, you need to know the doctrine of it. You need to know how it works. Uh, you need to know the whole context, the historical context. You, you really need to know the word. You need to know the theology. And so learning by doing is great, but it needs to be accompanied by a deep knowledge of the word, a deep knowledge of God himself. And so we would want to say, hey, that's, that's a great approach. You know, make sure you're training them and you're showing them how to counsel. You're showing them how to preach. You're showing them how to minister, disciple, and shepherd people. And, you know, bring the church, in a sense, under the Word of God. But you, you need to know the Word in a deeper sense. And the deeper you are, the, the more beneficial it's going to be for the context of that church family. So uh, whereas seminary might overemphasize, you know, learn the playbook, and maybe not have as much practice and lifestyle. Uh, the the other side of it would be, well, I've got all the practice and the lifestyle, but no, not the playbook. And I'm like, no, you need to know the scripture. So yeah, he's going to end up saying, I don't know, <laughs> a yeah. lot more often, right? Yeah, uh, and doing a lot more additional study to figure out things that you would learn fast in seminary. You could talk about those extreme cases. I grew up in churches where formal training was. Uh, looked down upon, uh, was minimized. They said, you, you don't need that kind of training. Uh, you're saved. You have the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. And figure it out as you go. And, uh, and that obviously had a negative impact on, the, on that particular denomination where men never really raised, rose up to their full potential. And uh, there was no one really calling them to a higher standard as they, as they dealt with God's word, and and um, and so uh, that's a that's a major downside if you take that to the extreme. Hmm. Hmm. What what would you say are the positives when a guy is thrust in the position without training? I think it's a great deal of dependence. <laughs> You know, guys are just like, Lord, I don't know what to do, Lord, so I guess I'll just hunt through the Scripture, or I'll talk to a whole bunch of guys that do know, or I'll just pray like crazy, 
and I'm going to try to be filled with the Spirit and uh, try to follow what the what I do know of the of the Scripture. And so I was a part of a church where there was no seminary trained guys. I was the only one for a season, and I loved the way that they approach things. When they didn't know what to do, they'd go, well, we better study the Bible some more, and uh, we better pray a lot, you know, and let's just do what God says. And, and, and then, you know, there's no debate or discussion about it. So it was, a, in a sense, a simple response to following the Scripture, which was fine. Uh, the problem is, is that as a church matures, they become much more detailed issues and much more detailed attacks that occur and if you're really not competent in the Word, you're going to find yourself really faltering. So you, you really don't need to know the Word. You know? So you, you need to be trained in, in the expressions of practical ministry, but you also need to know the depths of sound doctrine and, and a, a sound hermeneutic and the, the Scripture itself. I think, too, that some guys find themselves in a difficult spot, and they don't quite know how to deal with it. But it's also true to say that some men don't know what they don't know. So there's a world of ignorance. Yeah, it's very freeing. It's, it's freeing. <laughs> Blissful, <Yeah>. even. <laughs> um, and, but they, they're not sure uh, just what to do and how to get the information that they need or what resources might be available to them. Mm. And so... That additional exposure or needed exposure to others is just again just so needed, mm. so necessary. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about one of the strengths I think of seminary can be the relationships you establish mm -hmm. uh, right. in it with other men who you know then throughout the nation and the world. So. Yeah, even graduating classes of seminaries, I, I watched men who are super committed to the men that they went through seminary with because they built such a bond and relationship and they know how to trust one another over various issues. So I think that's a huge strength. Um, and I, I just think that all of us, no matter seminary trained or not, should be pursuing knowing and growing and learning more of the Word and never stop. I, I think that's what a disciple is, is a learner. And so you just want to be digging up and reading everything you can that's good and listening and as much as you can being exposed to other men who maybe approach ministry a little bit differently than you uh, every church has its own unique personality but man they're in the trenches and they're going for it and you can learn from that uh, if we move from those extremes of seminary training and absolutely no training towards the middle uh, we find churches that are striving to train equipment for ministry, and it seems like the main methods that exist in those churches are, uh, first, you could say churches that strive to imitate a seminary, right? And then churches that, that would be one option, then there would be the option of churches where just the pastor meets individually, disciples guys, goes through books with them, and just has a, uh, a kind of a casual, informal plan. Uh, if you were to think about the churches that imitate a seminary, uh, what does that look like? What are the challenges they face? Yeah, what they're doing is typically it's the pastor who is a, himself a seminary graduate, and he graduated with uh, course notes from his professors, <laughs> and uh, they occupy a large uh, portion of his library. They sit on the shelf. And, and so, they meant a lot to him sometimes. Absolutely. He, he learned a lot by going through those notes. So they're valuable, um, but they're there. And when there's a, a need to, 
maybe <coughs> teach a class or to consider, okay, what, what am I going to do now to prepare the next generation of guys in my church? What's my go-to material? And it's typically going to be that material because he knows it the best. He's the most familiar with those course notes, and it worked for him. Mm-hmm. At least he thinks it did. So uh, he's going to pull out those notes and regurgitate the material. Um, and I, in, in those cases when the notes are, are good, then <laughs> great. I mean, the, the content is good, but is that going to serve his purposes in regards to training in the local church? Uh, it will serve them partially, but it doesn't give the full picture of what a trainer is supposed to do. So you're saying if his note-taking was good and his professors were good, that method can be really good? It can be, but it's only part of the picture. It it can be profitable to pass on a certain discipline or a certain section of Scripture or a certain survey. It might be helpful in that area. The problem is, is that he's doing it because that's how he was trained. The problem that is the overall problem is that it's not the way Christ trained. And therefore, and if he's training laymen, laymen are not going to learn the same way the seminarians are. Seminarians are freed up, or they've got a scheduled part-time schedule that they're investing into this whole process, but typically a full-time student. And so now they're treating laymen like full-time seminarians, and they're not going to learn at the same level. They're not going to learn at the same pace. So if they were to do what they learned in seminary, it's going to take them anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20 years to pull that off. Most laymen don't have that kind of patience. And really, it's probably not that effective. It needs to be incorporated with discipleship and life on life and every element of the church being involved in the process. And, you know, a a content that's going to help them to really learn the totality of Scripture, um, maybe in a little bit better process, a little bit shorter period of time. So I think uh, really the, the reason that happens is most often is that that's the way he was trained, so that therefore he thinks that he needs to train all his laymen that way. And laymen are different. They have full-time jobs. They have families they got to care for. They have ministry at the church. And so if you're going to train them, you got to figure out a way that they can work it into their schedule, that you can get as much out of them as possible, and that you're going to do it in a way that hopefully they're going to learn it quickly and, and deeply as much as they can as soon as they can. <clears throat> so yeah. I think that imitating a seminary is a mistake uh, because you can't be a seminary. You just can't. Uh, unless you're going to be, like, that's what you're going to do, is you're going to start a seminary. Hmm. Um, I think even Talbot, from what I understood, was started by a series of churches that wanted to share the training. And the, the men that actually went to Talbot at the very beginning were men who were sent and recommended by the pastors of those churches. And <clears throat> it was free. It was just done by those churches, by those pastors in that process. But that process has changed. It wasn't a shared relationship. Now it's its own separate institution. So I don't know. The, the pastors that meet informally, um, I think that can have benefit, but at the same time, it may lack the curriculum necessary to train a man. Uh, it may go through a book or a discipline or maybe work on some element of the man's character or some aspect of doctrine. But it's really not going to accomplish the totality of really training up a man, uh, be able to be competent in the Word, the Old Testament, New Testament, theology, hermeneutics, etc. It's really not going to equip him in that process. And I, and I think there are even other methods, John and Nige, that guys can use. You know, they can be interning 
and they'll have a multiplicity of interns. We've seen Mark Dever do this really well, where he has men around him constantly in every aspect of life and every aspect of ministry, and he pours his life into them. And we use interns here at our church, and we try to have as much exposure to them and investment into them as possible. And those are really effective, but at the same time, I think it doesn't match up to the totality of what you're trying to do. Helping a man to determine what God's predetermination is. You know, what, what did God design this man to do? What are the good works that God's prepared for and that he should walk in them? And what's his purpose on this planet? Helping him not just with his giftedness, but his passions and every element and using discipleship and preaching and teaching and curriculum and sound doctrine and, you know, the whole process of life on life and every element of life in that process. I think that's shallow. I think that <clears throat> it can do good, it can help, but it's not going to solve the training process. It seems like <clears throat> excuse me. most men take however they matured and were trained and just do that. But most guys who are imitating a seminary, they're doing that because that's what they know and what they were experienced. Correct. Most guys who meet and go through books with a guy are doing that because that's how they grew and were most affected and impacted. Maybe true for internships as well. What what makes a guy question and reevaluate the the method for which he's doing it? Yeah, I mean, we we learn from our good past experiences. We learn from bad past experiences, and and uh, we've all had both of those. Um, and then we get out and we, we, we give it a shot for ourselves. We try to invest into others. And I think what it takes is time, trial and error. Uh, and when you start to see the fruit of your training process, uh, there'll be strengths and there'll be weaknesses. But over time, you start to think, boy, I need to maybe tweak this, change, change my approach, change my target. Uh, somehow create the environment in which this could happen in a more healthy way. Um, but you've got to start. You, you, have, you have to get going and then be willing to make changes along the way. Mm -hmm. I think very few men uh, realize that they themselves are not going to be the beginning and ending of the training process for others. Mm. They... Uh, look at this saying, well, I'm the guy that's going to step up. I'm going to start this process. So I'm going to train these guys. And again, I think it falls short of a true Christ-like mentality, which is I, I am not the full representation of who Christ is. You know, that the, the greater representation of who he is is the body. And so I'm going to need other men around me. And again, the guy out there in the middle of, you know, Zambezi <coughs> who's trying to start a training process, it may start with just one guy. But the goal would be that he's going to bring other men along that he has trained, and they're going to help him train in that process. And so it becomes a more of a plurality, and that each man's strengths are allowed to shine in that process so that it's more of Christ and less of you in that investment process. Uh, I, I think we, we, we look at it as training as in terms of discipleship, or we look at it in terms of seminary training or content dumping, which is a really nasty term. Uh, we look at it in terms of, well, I'll just model for them and be a, an example to them. 
And it's really all of it. You know, it's, it's, it's true parenting. You know, parenting is training. It's the element of I'm teaching them the word, but I'm modeling the word. I'm exhorting. I'm encouraging. I'm in this entire process. And I really do want the involvement. Now, there are many parents who don't, but they should want the involvement of other Christians in their kids' lives. And in that process, their kid then hopefully becomes more like Christ. And they're impacted at various levels, different ages, etc. And I think that's crucial to this process. And so as you're looking at these individual men, you know, again, any training process is better than none. But as you're going through this process, you're going to want to say, well, what are they going to accomplish? Are they going to learn the Old Testament, learn the New? Are they going to learn sound theology? Are they going to learn pastoral ministry? What, what are we actually trying to teach them? So there's got to be a goal curriculum-wise. Then there's got to be a process that allows you to invest in every possible way. Not one way, but every possible way. So you got to think beyond just, I'm going to meet with them on a Friday morning and lecture to them for two hours. So that's one way. Now, how are you going to model for them? How are you going to you know, create examples? How are you going to get them to disciple each other? How are you going to increase the level of growth that could occur, the more means of grace to invest into that student or students, those trainees, disciples, so in that process. So all of that needs to come into play. And I, again, I applaud a man who will meet with three or four men or one man and say, I'm going to invest into him. That's great. But if you're going to really train men, you're going to have much more involved. The church uh, more than a lecture, more than discipleship, more than preaching at them. The other thing I wanted to say <laughs> is that if you're uniquely gifted as a preacher, then that probably will be the, the main element of the way you train. Uh, you'll probably preach at guys. You know, you'll, you'll lecture to them, but you'll preach at them. And hopefully, if you're a really gifted preacher, it'll, it'll be good. You know, guys will enjoy that. Uh, I'm thinking about a multiplicity of guys, a, a man named Tommy Nelson in, in Texas, and he would get his guys and walk through the whole scripture. Well, he would exposit the entire scripture, some broad, some narrow, but he was a gifted preacher, and he would walk them through that, and that's how it worked. Now, it would involve many other things in his training process, but he predominantly preached at his guys, and there's other guys that are more prone to discipleship or group dynamics. And so they'd bring that to bear on that. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But it's not the only thing. That's the thing that I want to press, is that training should involve other strengths and other means of grace to equip those men that they become more of what God intended them to be. And that's why a plurality of guys over time. I mean, we started here with, you know, two of us and then three of us. And then now we have guys that we've trained that are come and they're, they're mentors coming alongside doing what we did in those early days. And there's just a multiplicity of men involved in that process. But then our whole local church is involved in the process and the interaction of people. And as they minister, getting feedback from the body of Christ and sometimes pretty savage feedback. And so it's that whole process of learning and growing. And I, I just think it grows over time. And what we have is not the answer. It's just one way of doing it, but it's how it's evolved here as we've tried to equip these men in the way God designed them to be, or trying to help them to discover the way God designed them to be. Yeah, it's surprising that thinking about what we do, which we're not talking about, we train men using a model none of us went through. Hmm. 
that's unusual. And the thing that scares me, and I think scares all of us, is our men, as they leave us, often want to just imitate what we've done with them rather than think about how they're made and how their gifts should impact how they train men and what they pour into them. And we acknowledge like it needs to be in the context of the local church, needs to involve these certain things, but it really needs to be shaped by, I think, the men who are doing it, which means it's not always going to be a mirror image to how those men were trained. Yeah, a young pastor uh, going into his first church can often feel the pressure of having to prove himself. Mm. Uh, not only as a preacher, but if he has a heart for training, that he would he might want to prove himself as a trainer as well, and then show that new congregation that you know his training abilities are going to be fruitful. Well, that's a huge amount of pressure. And so what he wants to do, what he needs to do, is to allow others to, to enter into that process with him and add to the training methodology uh, so that he's not just a one-man band, but others are in that equation. And uh, he allows their <coughs> strengths and weaknesses, his strengths and weaknesses, to be on the table for discussion. Right. And uh, they can all be open and transparent about that. And it is going to look different depending on which church he's in, which other men are a part of that ministry, and, uh, and he should be okay with those differences. I think there's some general principles that fit in every scenario, but never a general program that fits every church. That's I think, is criminal, because God didn't make us all the same. And so I am very much aware of my mentor and how he spent his first decade at Grace Community Church. And when John MacArthur invested into the men on Saturday morning, he primarily preached at them and walked through things, but it was massively saturated with dialogue, and it was massively saturated with one-on-one interaction, and then their interaction with each other, and then their interaction within the context of the local church. And so it was this whole growing process And the church actually in its early days became known as the church of 900 ministers. Everybody was serving. Everybody was involved. So there was a massive amount of growing and developing because everyone was ministering as he's pouring himself into primarily teaching them, strengthening them doctrinally and expositionally through passages of Scripture. And he would walk that through, but he was also super accessible to those guys. And they would be the ones who are asking a lot of the questions on the Wednesday nights, you know, and walking through that process. So it was highly engaged, highly involved. And, and again, his life and ministry now are quite different than they were in those early days. But that's what he did. And I, I, I think it fits. It fits him. And you need to understand that in each situation, it should fit your strengths, but it also should fit a sound ecclesiology, how the church is built and somehow a a modeling over the life of Christ, what Christ did with his men, the closer we can get to that, the more effective the training process is going to be. And so that's got to drive us, not the program. And then we want to make sure that's really, it's not what you, you know, show me the program, show me the curriculum. It's like, no, no, no. Figure out how you can be more like Christ in the process of investing in the men, making sure that they're getting sound doctrine, making sure that they're getting a totality of exposure to the God's Word, uh, making sure they're getting a totality of pastoral ministry, etc. But at the same time, in the context of everyday life, 
at home, at work, at school, whatever they're doing. And so everything's involved in that process. And that's where a lot of guys miss it. I'm just going to do what I I had happen to me. I'm going to do what I learned in seminary. I'm going to do this. And it's like, you know what? That's probably not going to work for you. Yeah, but that is the, for better or worse, that's the easiest thing to do because it doesn't require a lot of thinking and a lot of extra work to craft and create something. Yeah, You're able to take what you have. I'm not saying that's the right way. No, I'm just I get saying it. like that's what <clears throat> makes guys gravitate that and way. And here's the scary part of training. With preaching, you get almost immediate response. You know, that was great. I didn't like it. Boy, that convicted me, et cetera. With training, it's five years, maybe 10, before you actually see the long-term fruit of it. Um, and it's, it's a scary process. Now, we, we tend to accelerate that process because we're working on it and developing it all the time and trying to improve it. But churches just starting out, you're really not going to see dramatic change within the context of that church probably for five years. So it take, you got to have a more of a decade mentality. And that's what makes this process so scary to most guys. So I'll just do what I'm familiar with because it worked with me, so then I'll just do it. And it's like, no, that's probably not going to fly. Hmm. Well, thank you guys for the helpful thoughts. And I know we're talking about an area that is critical but often unthought about. It's just critic- uncritically accepted and moved ahead with. Uh, next episode, we're going to do a deep dive into our method for training men. And I'm just admitting now, it is not a perfect method. We have our own strengths and weaknesses, which we'll talk a lot about next week. Uh, so make sure to listen in. Hit the subscribe button uh, to automatically download future episodes. Leave a review on iTunes if this has been helpful for you. If you want to learn more about Faith Bible Church and the Training Center, you can find us at www.faith-bible.net. And if you want to reach out personally with a question, um, we should figure out some way of making that easier in the future. But for now, you can just find us uh, on our website, uh, the church website. There's some contact info there. Uh, Thanks for listening today and uh, keep investing into the church.